1996, the Summer Olympics, they were in Atlanta, the women's gymnastics, uh, the team competition, that's what we're talking about. The Russians had won every single team competition, the gold medal, for almost 50 years. Team USA, on this particular 1996 summer, they wanted to do something different. They wanted to make history. And they were down to their very last chance to make that happen. The girl's name was Carrie Struggs, and they could not win the gold medal without her. She was their last chance. Now, the vault she had before, she had just, the vaulter before had fallen twice, and so now it was up to Carrie. They were hoping in her. It was the last chance. Her first vault, it looked great. It, it looked really good. But when she landed, she fell. And something went violently wrong inside of her ankle when she fell. She had one more opportunity, a, a redo, a, a do-over, one more chance to make this happen. Now, everybody knew that she was hurt, but nobody knew how badly she was hurt. Her coach was on, on the side, and he was shouting encouragement, you can do it, you can do it, and he shouted it over and over and over, but in her mind, she was saying, but can I, can I really do it? Somehow, through immense pain, she ran down the runway at full speed. She vaulted, and she landed perfectly on one foot. And then she dropped to her knees in immense pain, and she began to crawl off the mat. But she had won America's first women's gymnastics team gold. I love a good do-over. I mean, that undo button, those moments that, that we can recover what was lost, those moments we can restore what was taken, we can get a second chance to fix a mistake. However, I also know that there are some things in life that we simply cannot undo. For instance, you can't unscramble eggs, you, you cannot unbake cookies, you cannot unrip a piece of paper, you can't unsay something mean that you've said, you can't uncut hair. There are certain things in life that are just irreversible. They are permanent, they are irrevocable. And yet, as we have followed this incredible story, this big story, the one big story through all of Scripture, we learn that Jesus is in the business of reversing the irreversible. Jesus made lame people walk, deaf people hear. He, he, uh, he restored the ear of, of a man that Peter had cut off his ear. He restored it physically and neurologically. He, he put it back on perfectly. Jesus is in the business of reversing the irreversible. He told a dead man one time to walk out of the grave. Throughout history, the works of Jesus have shown us that we should never put a period where God has placed a comma. And that applies to our lives as well. Last week, as we left the one big story, we left Jesus on the cross. 
the one who seemed to be the fulfillment of a promise that was made in the Garden of Eden. He was now hanging on the cross. They were spitting on him. They were mocking him. He was being humiliated. The man that they believed was the Messiah, this coming king. He, he had been proclaimed throughout all history by the prophets, and this man himself, he hung powerlessly on a cross. He had healed others, but he was not saving himself. He had taught the truth in a way that made even his enemies pay attention, but now this man, Jesus, remained silent, literally suspended between heaven and earth, subjected to the abandonment of his friends and his followers, even his Father in heaven. Jesus hung on the cross. It's a powerful moment. It's a powerful image in our minds. It's the payment for our sin. It is the exact moment that we were reconciled to God. This cross, it was the ultimate plot twist. And it was a surprise ending in this story that God was telling. And that's where we left Jesus last week. And so often we leave him there still today on the cross, in pictures, on jewelry around our necks. It's the central image, it seems, central image of our faith, a man on a cross. But you know, the story did not end there. While the enemy was roaring in victory, and the people of God were just trying to wake up from this shock that they had witnessed. God was actually waiting in the wings to introduce yet another plot twist to this amazing story. Let's read this together. Jesus had been on the cross. He died. They took him down. They placed him in a tomb. And this is where we pick up the story in Luke chapter 24. It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices that they had prepared, and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said, why, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you? <clears throat> While he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Some of us, we've grown up with in church, and we've heard this story so much that we just kind of read right through it and right past the story, and we miss all the drama related to what's happening here. We are so familiar with this story that we're kind of immune to the shock value of what's going on. We already know what's going to happen. So when it does happen, we're not surprised at all. We're, I mean, we're not excited. We're generally not moved. 
we don't really have an appropriate reaction to this story because we are desensitized. We are over-familiar with this story. Psychologists call this phenomenon, they call it hindsight bias. Hindsight bias. The whole story to us, because we're so familiar with it, it just seems predictable, and therefore it's pretty boring and it's pretty dull. But when we read this story, we tend to think about women who are on their way to get the news that Jesus is alive. That's what we think, because we're so familiar. But we forget to read the story that as these women are going, they are going to bury, to bury their dreams and their hopes and their aspirations. Let's take a moment just to kind of back up. Let's, as best we can, insert our feet into these sandals of these people who were there. Let's attempt for just a moment to relive this story from their perspective. You see, on Friday night, Jesus died on a cross. Mary, his mother, watched her baby boy, born of mystery and wonder and majesty. Suddenly now, this miracle called Jesus was gasping for his last breath as he hung on the cross. His disciples had scattered. They watched the one that they believed to be the king. They watched him suffer at the hands of the rulers of a different kingdom, an empire, and a religion. And they knew it was over. Jesus died, and darkness covered, literally, darkness covered the earth. The body of Jesus was taken off the cross, and he was placed inside of a borrowed tomb. And now everything was lost. All hope was gone. The story, it seemed, had come to an end. God somehow stopped writing his story. The cross was a shocking and it was a painful experience to everyone involved. The disciples, they had walked away from their families to follow Jesus. They walked away from their friends. They walked away from their careers. They had walked away from everything they had known, all security, to follow this man Jesus. One of the disciples actually, in following Jesus, had walked on water. The others, they watched lame men began to walk, and blind men began to see. They watched a little boy's lunch, just a handful of food, be multiplied enough to feed thousands, thousands and thousands of people. They listened to Jesus teach as he was promising the coming of a new kingdom. They believed that this man, Jesus, was the Messiah, the Son of God. He was their leader. He was more than that. He was their friend. And he died. What went wrong? How could the Messiah have been killed? Was he not who he actually said that he was? Matthew tells us that even Jesus felt this abandonment from the cross. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The cross was painful, it was confusing, 
and the cross was final. Now, two days later, a group of women walked to the tomb to prepare this body for burial. Now, one thing must be very clear. Jesus was dead. And the women knew that Jesus was dead. They watched him die. They knew it. And this point must be clearly, clearly understood. We must know that Jesus was clearly dead. Or else the power and the wonder and the amazement of this story is absolutely lost. The one that they had followed, the one they believed in, the one they had invested in was dead And they were carrying these spices in their hands to go prepare his body for final burial. The one that they believed in, who would usher in this new kingdom, he had been killed, stone cold dead by the Roman Empire. The one that they had attached their hopes and dreams to was lying motionless, lifeless, dead in that cold tomb. How must they have felt? I, I, I don't know. Were, were they consumed with grief? Probably. Were, were they consumed with shock and disappointment, sadness, even anger at it all? Confusion, I, I'm almost certain. It was probably a mix of all of those things they were feeling as they walked towards the tomb. I, I just wonder, How far did they have to go? How far did they have to walk? Did they have to journey to that place? And and while they were going, did they talk to each other? Were there conversations going on? Did, Did they perhaps find joy as they were talking about good memories that they had experienced with Jesus? Kind of like what we do often at a memorial service. Did they do that, relive some of those great experiences? Or or did they express their confusion over all of these events that they just watched happen? Did they Did they question God's goodness or did they contemplate, what are we going to do next? How will we go on? Did they feel as though they had been duped? Did they wonder if we're really just in the middle of a bad, bad dream? The woman walking to the tomb that day, they lived in a reality that fell far short of their expectations Their expectations in no way matched the experience that they were living in that moment because Jesus was gone. All of us have experienced moments in our lives where we wonder, where did God go? You've probably experienced a moment or two where you question whether God was around at all. Is he real? Perhaps your dad lost a job, and you think to yourself, what is going on here? Maybe a a close family member gets cancer, or somebody gets killed in, in a freak accident. People you know and love go through tragedy and hurt. And you ask yourself, where is God in all of this? Why are bad things happening to good people? What do you do when God doesn't act the way you expect God to act? When your reality does not line up with what your expectations were, what do you do when God doesn't seem to come through for you 
on his promises. And then the impossible happened. Somehow along the way, the women in their journey with Jesus never grasped hold of what Jesus had told them. They had never taken notes on the moments when Jesus had predicted his death and his resurrection. So what they found was unimaginable. Instead of finding the body of their friend in the tomb, they were greeted by some angels with a question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? And then some very matter-of-fact news. He's not here. He's risen. Shock again. Surprise again. Confusion again. Undoubtedly all of these things. This now, this news now is the biggest plot twist in all of history that there has ever been, that they had ever seen. It's not that Jesus was able to do the impossible. He reversed the irreversible. When we say this is a great story, we don't mean like it's a story that happened like once, in, in, once upon a time, you know, or like like a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away. This is not a fairy tale. This is a fact of history. This is a story that we're talking about. It really happened. Our faith is not grounded on a bunch of religious rules or regulations. Our faith is not grounded on doctrines that we teach as a church. Our faith is not founded upon creeds that we say, this is what we believe. Our faith is grounded on a factual historical event called the resurrection. 2,000 years ago, the Son of God was crucified and buried and raised to life on that third day. And what I want you to see through all of this this morning is that the resurrection isn't something we celebrate once a year at Easter. The resurrection is something that completely changes your life and it is a reality that we walk in every single day it completely revolutionizes the way we see and do life the resurrection was not god's course correction it, it, it wasn't him just correcting things along the way the re the resurrection wasn't god's attempt to fix something that had gone terribly wrong he had been at work in this broken world Fixing it from the very beginning. Remember the beginning we talked about? It all started with a God revealing exactly how good that he was through the goodness and perfection of his creation. But then the world broke. And that man named Adam and that woman named Eve, they sinned. But hidden in this tragic failure... Hidden in the consequences of this fall, God in the Garden of Eden way back then gives us this promise. In this birthplace of brokenness called the Garden of Eden, God did not abandon his creation. Instead, he made a promise. Here's what he said. A day would come 
when the offspring of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Someday, somehow, God would send, God would send one who would ultimately and completely vanquish the enemy. That's what God would do. He said, victory is coming. But at that moment in the garden, things did not get better. Sadly, the world continued to spiral out of control. But even then, God did not abandon his creation. He chose a man named Abram, and he gave him a promise. I am going to fix what is broken through your family. He gave victory then, soon after that, to his people, the Israelites. When they were enslaved in Egypt, he brought them out of slavery, and he took them to a new land, the promised land. And God took that people group and he gave them judges and he gave them kings. He gave them prophets all to remind them of who they were and whose they were and why they should live their lives differently as the children of God. And then there was silence again, this time for 400 years. It was at the end of the Old Testament, God stopped speaking to these people. 400 years he was silent, and then God pierced the silence of humanity with this helpless cry of a baby named Jesus. God broke through the barrier of heaven, and he came here to earth for one reason, to rescue his people. Now, he came here as a baby. He didn't just subject himself to the care of his creation as a baby. But then as he grew, he knew this was coming. Mockery, betrayal, abandonment, and then crucifixion by his very own creation. You see, the cross, it paid for all of our sin. But the cross wasn't the end of the story. It's the resurrection that was the culmination of God's redemptive plans and his purposes all for his story. It culminated right there in the resurrection. Jesus did not just pay for our sin. Jesus conquered sin and he conquered death. You see, the cross paid for our sins, but the resurrection brought us life. The cross conquered our sin, and the resurrection conquered the grave. It's the resurrection that gives us life, and that resurrection gives us power, and that resurrection gives us hope. So I want to take just a minute to, to look at how these three things are accomplished through the resurrection. First, the resurrection of Jesus it gives us life. The Bible tells us in John chapter 11, Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. In Jesus, we experience life on earth and life promised eternally. It's the good news of Jesus. It's not just that we are saved from something, but he's saying this, we are saved to something. We are saved from sin. We are saved to a new way of living. Salvation just doesn't mean we get to live after death. Here's what it means. Your eternal life starts now. 
That abundant life that God has of following him, it starts right now. That purposeful life, it starts right now. A life that begins to make sense as we begin to see it against this backdrop of God's great story. The resurrection, Jesus promises us, it gives us life. But it gives us something else as well. It gives us power. Romans 8 says, the spirit of him, that's God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. If you've made Jesus the boss of your life, he, his spirit from him lives in you. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says this. Paul says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is also at work within us. Let me say that again. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is at work inside of your life. Jesus lives in us. Think about that for a moment because that is crazy. The same power actually lives in us. How often do we live in such a way that we demonstrate, that we actually believe that that idea God says is true. If you're struggling with an old habit, remember that the same power that raised Christ from the dead at this very moment is at work inside of you. If you aren't sure how you're going to be able to walk through a job situation or a tough circumstance and still remain your honesty and your integrity, remember this. The same power, exact same power that raised Jesus from the dead and allowed him to walk out of the tomb is at work this very moment inside of you. If you feel like you can't hold your temper with your children, remember, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in your life this very moment. And it's the power to become more and more and more and more like Jesus. It's the power to transform us from this old way of living, old way of reacting, old habits, to transform us to a new way of living. You see, as Christians, as Christ followers, we don't live differently in order to be saved. We live differently because we are saved. We don't live differently in order to, to get God's favor. We live differently because we already have God's favor. We don't follow his commands in order to be granted this new life. We follow his commands because we walk in the power of a resurrected life now. Becoming more and more and more like Jesus is a result of God's power, the Holy Spirit, at work inside of you right now. The resurrection gives us life. The resurrection gives us power, and the resurrection gives us hope. Peter, the guy who abandoned Jesus, 
the night that Jesus was betrayed and in the garden and then arrested, Peter denied Jesus three times. His great mercy, Peter would write these words. Here's what he said in 1 Peter chapter 1. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus means that anything is possible. If Jesus could be could, could die on the cross and then be buried and then come back to life, then that means that there is nothing impossible with God. And God himself can reverse the irreversible. The ultimate hope that we have in Jesus is described in Revelation 21. John describes it. He says this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. When Jesus taught the things that he taught, they were extremely, extremely important. But what he did, what Jesus did, that was the game changer for all of history. The cross was the payment for our sin. The resurrection was the catalyst for us to experience this new life with Christ. Please understand this. The foundation of our Christian faith is not ultimately in the teachings of Jesus. They are great and they are wonderful and we can allow them into our life and they can change our lives, but the foundation for our faith is not the teaching of Jesus, but the resurrection of Jesus. We don't simply believe that this happened because the Bible told us that it happened. We believe this because real people they saw him come back to life. They saw him dead. And then they saw him walking among them, living again. And they believed that so much that they gave their lives. They did not take it back and say, oh, before they died to save them. Oh, I'm just kidding. It didn't really happen. They died saying this really happened. The resurrection changed people completely. A man who was too scared to admit to a servant girl that he knew who Jesus was, he then later, years later, stood boldly before the same people who crucified Jesus. This was days later. And he was talking about Jesus. He refused to stop talking about Jesus. The resurrection changes cowards into courageous men and women. It turns self-centered people into selfless people. Those who once jockeyed for better positions in God's kingdom, for the highest positions, they are the ones who gave their lives for the good news, saying that Jesus came, he died, he was buried, and he came back to life. The cross stands as the crossroads between sin and redemption. The resurrection stands at the crossroads between life and death. The cross pays for the sin, but the resurrection buys us 
hope. In the resurrection, Jesus defeated death, and he showed us that God had this plan from the very beginning. And the resurrection is still bringing life today. The resurrection is still bringing us power today. The resurrection is still bringing us hope today, even this very moment. It's not just a few dozen people who lived thousands of years ago whose lives were turned upside down by the resurrection. You see, we don't just have the testimony of a few fishermen or a few women who lived thousands of years ago who are telling us about the power of the resurrection. No, we have hundreds of thousands who can stand and attest to the hope that they have found in the resurrection. Jesus didn't just predict his death. Jesus predicted his resurrection, and Jesus followed through. No one in history has ever done that. And that alone makes Jesus worth following. And Jesus is still in the business today of reversing the irreversible. That moment in history has changed all of history, and it brings us life. Right now, it brings us power at this very moment, and it brings us hope today to our lives. Romans 10 puts it this way. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's what he says. Now, what does that mean for your life today? What does that mean? This is a real historical event. But it's also the reality just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. The cross restores your relationship to the Creator and the resurrection will change your story for the rest of your life. Maybe you need to turn a new chapter in your life today. If you have never stopped at the cross on your journey, I'm asking you to stop there today. Recognize, Jesus, you came here to rescue. You came here to restore. And then I ask you that you let the resurrection bring you life right now, that you let the resurrection bring you hope, that you let the resurrection fill your life with power. In fact, in this very moment, you can make that decision right now that the risen Jesus can be the boss of your life. And if that's what you're doing, I ask, would you tell him that right now in your heart? Would you communicate that right now? You don't have to yell it out loud. He's listening to your heart right now. Let him know. Let him know if you're making him the boss of your life. And then I ask you this, would you let me know too? Let me know by marking this on the back of your connection card before you turn it in in just a few moments. It says, for the first time, I'm really choosing to become a Christ follower. I'm giving my life to Jesus because he died as a sacrifice for my sins so I can be his forever. Would you let me know? Let's pray. Father, when we see our story within the context of your story, 
we can echo the words of Paul in Corinthians, which says, death, death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus, you did the impossible, and now you offer us the impossible. You offer us a do-over, a life do-over. And right now, from our hearts, we are saying thank you. And we are going to sing with a thankful heart as a church. In church, I ask you, will you celebrate with us? Don't let your life remain quiet. Will you right now help me to finish this prayer with your voices in song? And let that be your amen.